I want to pause and reiterate a couple of things. Uh, remember, home, uh, excuse me, uh, October is a very, very busy month for us at First Baptist Church. Make sure you're paying attention to everything going on. There is something every week, and sometimes two or three things a week during the month of October at First Baptist Church. Big events, uh, opportunities for ministry, um, just decision-making times that we'll have as, as a church family. Make sure you're plugged into those and paying attention to those. I want to underscore, as Pastor Mike did earlier, next Sunday morning is homecoming. Now, the significance of that is uh, not only that it's homecoming, the first Sunday in October at First Baptist Church, we celebrate homecoming, but that we didn't get to do that last year. During COVID, we, we didn't do that. And so we're, we're glad we can renew it. Now, we know COVID has not suddenly gone away. So take care of you, as I've been saying several times, several weeks now. You take care of you. Do what's best for you. Uh, but we're going to participate in homecoming as we typically do. You have a very special treat next Sunday homecoming. Brother Don Evans, his physician, Priscilla, are going to come and share with you what God did in Don's life and in their lives and through you and your prayers in four months, I think, in the hospital. Where's Don? Don, you still here? Wait, four months, is that right? In the hospital. And God brought him through that. In one of those ways we pray about a lot, we ask God to surprise the doctors, to surprise us, and that's exactly what God did. So you're going to get to hear from Don next week at homecoming. Uh, you'll hear again a little bit about the history of First Baptist Church, where we've been, where we're going. Uh, and, as Pastor Mike mentioned, there'll be a brief called conference after the service, right at the end of it. Uh, it's more an affirmation. It's a recommendation from the personnel committee that affirms how God's working in our church family, and our church body. So don't miss it. Be here and then stay for lunch. Bring your favorite side dishes and desserts and just have a good time. Homecoming next Sunday morning. Uh, Pastor Mike also mentioned Fall Festival. We need to sign up to volunteer for that. I'm going to go ahead and, and put it out there for you. Uh, homecoming is on the calendar, in the planning, but it depends on you volunteering to make it happen. So, so understand that. Pray about it. Sign up at the back table. Send us an email. Go online to the website. Call Pastor Mike or Miss Judy, whatever you need to do to learn more about it. But to have homecoming, excuse me, to have fall festival, we need your participation, okay? And I, I'm excited about what that's going to be, what it's looking, and looking forward to that. Now, again, COVID kind of stunted some of those things last year, uh, so we'll, we'll be back in action as we can this year. Finding your Bible again with me, Jonah and chapter 2. We left Jonah in the belly of the fish last week. Jonah chapter 2, find your place there and hold it. You'll recall last week we, we read through the prayer, Jonah chapter 2. Uh, Jonah's prayer in the belly of the fish actually summarizes three days and three nights of Jonah praying in the belly of the, of the fish. And uh, his, his yearning for God to forgive him and his yearning to be, his, his desire to be reinstated to service to God, to come back from disobedience. That's what the heart of that prayer is. That's what that prayer is all about. We're going to go back to it in just a moment. Last week we looked at repentance, our side of confessing our sin, asking God for forgiveness, acknowledging our responsibility, what we have done to get us so far away from God our disobedience. This week, we're going to consider restoration. What comes after repentance? What comes after confession to God? 
what comes next and how God restores you to service to Him when you return to obedience, to, to desiring to be an obedient servant of God. When Kevin and I first moved to Fort Worth, Texas in the 1980s, the mid-1980s, uh, I got a job. We went there for seminary to, to study for ministry, and I uh, had a lot of different jobs in the years we were there. One of the first jobs I had was refinishing antique furniture for a couple that owned an antique store in North Texas. Now, to say it was a store uh, it understates it. It was a conglomeration of four different buildings, two of which were full of things uh, that they had been refinished. They usually bought them at estate sales. They brought them back and refinished them. Then they put them for sale there. They've been doing this for, for years and years and years. And I uh, came on board the, that summer. I think it was around 1985 or so, maybe 86. I was younger then. To refinish antiques. Now, it's one thing to refinish antiques. It's another thing to do it outside all summer in Texas. Doesn't that just warm your heart, just, just thinking about it? The man, uh, his wife, the man and his wife that owned the store, the man was um, a talented refinisher, uh, really uh, an expert, a master at, at, at refinishing antique furniture, of returning it to its original splendor. And he taught me as best he could, teach me anything, but he taught me how to do at least my part. My primary part was to strip off the old varnish and, and get down to the, uh, the, the original wood. Then we would mix a turpentine oil mixture together and, and rub that in and over a couple of days bring out the patina and it showed the original wood and the texture of the wood. Beautiful, beautiful process. And I remember vividly one time he pulled out of their storage shed this desk. Now, to me, that desk, which they had bought at an estate sale in Massachusetts, that desk uh, looked like a black varnish. It looked terrible. It was this old uh, 19th century covered black varnish and just looked, looked awful to me. But when he pulled it out and he set it out there in front of me, he said, this is beautiful tiger maple mixed with mahogany. And I'm looking at it thinking, that's a disgusting piece of old furniture with black varnish. You and I do not see the same thing. Now, I didn't say that out loud because I like to have a job. But that's what I said, and I'm thinking that in my mind. So he says, I want you to go and start, go ahead and stripping this off. But he told me, he said, now I need to tell you, this is a little bit different. This particular kind of varnish, this old black stuff, it doesn't just scrape off. It doesn't, it's not liquid once you put the products on there to strip it. It is gunky sludge. So it's going to take you a while. Be patient. It'll take you a while to get that gunky sludge off a day, maybe two, maybe three, but let me know when you're finished. So I got started, and he wasn't kidding. Out there in the Texas heat, even with the heat helping the process, it took three days to clean that black varnish sludge off the top of that old piece of furniture. You know what I found under, underneath? Yep, tiger maple mixed with mahogany. Because he was a master of restoration, he could see what was underneath that I didn't see. God works with us in that way. God knows who you are and who he wants you 
to be. Repentance, we talked about last week, helps get some of that old covering, that varnish, that gunk out of your life. But all the while, God knows the restoration process, and he knows it may take a while, but he knows what's underneath, and he knows how to bring you back to who God wants you to be, to bring you back to obedience so you can serve him. As we visit Jonah in the stomach of the fish, he is going through that process. We're going to go back to chapter 2 and read the prayer in its entirety again. And as we read this, remember, this is a summary. This, this, this summarizes prayers for, two, uh, for three days and three nights over a time period, but it gets at the heart of his repentance that leads to his restoration to obedience. He's coming back from disobedience and returning to obedience. And in that, God preserves this for us so we can learn also how to return to obedience and be restored to serving God. Chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. When you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to my neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah's prayer is born of affliction and distress. Even as he says it, you heard me in my distress. It's born of desperation, not of affection. This is not Jonah having a quiet time. This is Jonah in desperate need of coming back to God. He has both literally and spiritually slid as far away from God as he could get by a series of his own decisions until finally he finds himself in the belly of a fish, the darkest, worst place he could imagine. Probably never even imagined it. But there he finds himself. We would put it this way. He finds himself at rock bottom. He has let himself continue in disobedience long enough that now he's at the worst place that he could be. The farthest from God that he could go. And that's where restoration sets in. Why is that? What, what, what happens? What happens First and foremost, the big picture of what's going on in the belly of this fish is a moment of clarity. It's the moment that Jonah realizes what's going on. It's the moment he looks at his life, he looks at his situation, and he says, I let this happen. What have I done? And it's that moment that God brings us to, that moment of being rock bottom. Uh, but we don't necessarily have to get there. Pay attention to this. At any point along the way, you can turn back to God. You can repent. You can be restored to obedience. But if you let it keep going, if you continue to be in disobedience, to walk away from your God, 
you get closer and closer to rock bottom. Closer and closer to that point of clarity where you have nowhere else to go. Nothing else you can do but turn around and repent. When you do that, what does God do? God is waiting on you. God wants you back. Underscore that. Highlight that. Write it in the margins of the Bible. God wants me back. God wants me to come back to him. God wants me to be in obedience to him. That's why God is pursuing you. Just as he pursues those who are lost and need Christ, he pursues them for salvation. He pursues you for restoration. He wants you to come back if you've walked away from him. This morning, I want to go back to the prayer for a few minutes and talk about restoration by looking at three requirements for your restoration. What needs to happen? Now, by requirements, I don't, need, I don't mean duties or obligations. I mean absolutes. These are things that must take place, decisions you must make to return to restoration. And God is faithful in that when you make these decisions, He's there to welcome you back to obedience. This is how restoration happens. First of all, admit your condition. Admit your condition. That is to say, look at your situation where you are and admit where you are. How far have you traveled from obedience to God? How far has this journey of disobedience taken you? Because once you admit your condition, that leads to hope. Hope is restored, and part of your restoration is being restored to hope. The opening verses of, of Jonah's prayer are all about his condition, where he is. I, Jonah cried out from where? The belly of the fish. I cried out to you in my distress. One is the place, the other is the desperation, the condition. But they mirror one another. I got to this place. This place is a place of distress. My condition is beyond I ever, what I ever thought it would be, all because of my disobedience. Admit your condition. This is where I am. And I got to this place because of my disobedience to God. But then he says, when my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord. Did you catch that? At that very moment that I thought I was on death's door, I returned to hope. Hope was restored. And I remember the Lord. And I said, I will worship him again in his holy temple. The word translated remembered means I turned back to him. I stopped looking at my circumstances. I stopped looking at the, at, at the stomach of the fish and thinking only about where I was and started thinking about him again. He is my hope. And I will one day worship him again. I will be there. I will come out of this. I will be obedient again. And my hope rests in him. Admit your condition. There's the question. How far are you from God? If you've been living in disobedience for a while, you need some clarity of that moment. You need to let God show you your condition and admit that he's right. I, I sometimes wonder when Jesus taught the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, I sometimes wonder if he thought about Jonah. You remember the story of the prodigal son? Two brothers. One of them is faithful, stays home. He's actually the religious guy in the story. The other brother comes to his dad and he says, I want my inheritance and I want it now. The dad relents, gives him his inheritance, and he goes off and in, in the story he squanders it and then squanders it in the worst ways, the worst sins possible. Then a famine hits the land. Now he has no money, no inheritance, and now he has to live off the goodness 
of other people. He can't even take care of himself. And, and Jesus says that he came to a point where he was feeding the hogs and pigs of a farmer. And a Jewish person, by the way, that's the most detestable picture a Jewish person could get. He is, he is feeding the hogs and pigs of a farmer. And it hits him. It's that moment of clarity when all of a sudden he realizes he is at rock bottom and it's bad. And it's all because of his disobedience. It's all because of his decisions. It's all because of what he has done that he's reached this condition. And in that moment of clarity, the prodigal son says it out loud. What have I done? Look where I am. My father's servants live better than this. And he decides what? I'll go home. I want to go home. I want to go home. That moment of clarity, it hits you. What have I done? Admit your condition. You're not telling God something he doesn't already know. You're just admitting what you already know, but have refused to admit. Look what I've done. I've been disobedient to God. I've been so far away from God. How did I get to this point? And for you, it may be not that you're seeped in sin. It may not be that your life has skidded off the rails. It may simply mean that you suddenly realize the loving relationship that you had with Christ has grown cold. And somewhere along the line, it's just not what it used to be. And part of it's because you stopped listening to him. You stopped obeying him. You stopped showing up in his presence. To worship him. Admit your condition. The second step and requirement is to clarify your position. When you admit your condition, that's answering the question, where am I? What, look what I've come to. When you clarify your position, that's answering the question, look who I am compared to God. In other words, I'm not God. He is. What am I doing? Thinking I can run my life without it. What am I doing running away, turning my back on the one true God? It's interesting the things that we think about and the things that come to mind in these kinds of situations. Uh, for Jonah, for example, look at verse 8. He held back to the Phoenician sailors. Remember the prayer meeting on the ship when the uh, ship was threatened by the storm and all the sailors gather around and they pray to their personal gods. They're false gods, but they're personal gods. Look at verse 8. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithless love, faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. Jonah comes to an understanding that he's really not that much different from those Phoenician, Phoenician sailors. And here's why. Disobedience, disobedience is fundamentally idolatry. It is. See, disobedience to God is basically saying God... Today I'll be God, and you're not. I'll do what I want. I've got my agenda, and my agenda's better than yours, so you hang back. If, you need you, if I need you, I'll, I'll let you know. Disobedience is, at the heart of it, idolatry. And it suddenly dawns on Jonah that in order to return to worship, see, uh, uh, admitting his condition, he's restored to hope, would clarifying his position, he's restored to worship. And that's what he says. I want to worship you. Let, let's, let's be clear about this. I am not God. That means my one alternative is to worship the one true God, to come back to God 
who he is and admit who he is uh, and, and come back to obedience rather than disobedience. And here he is in the belly of a fish and he says, the first way I'm going to worship is thanksgiving. Would you and I do that? We would be calling out to God saying, why me? Why am I in the belly? When you let me out of here, then I might worship you. When you get me out of this bad situation, God, then I'll come back and worship you. Jonah says, with complete clarity, I'm alive. I'm alive. As long as I'm alive, there's hope. God hears my prayer. Praise God. The first thing I will do is worship with thanksgiving and celebration. Notice at this point, he has no idea if he's going to die in the belly of the fish, if he'll ever come out of the belly of the fish. All he knows is he can still praise God. The most basic fundamental act of worship is to thank God for who he is. Because you're not God. He is. And the most fundamental act of idolatry is disobedience. Claiming, God, my agenda is better than yours. Restoration comes about when we clarify our position in this relationship with God. He's God, I'm not. I'm not going to run anymore. I'm not going to disobey anymore. I'm not going to turn my back on him anymore because I'm not God. And when I say I will serve him, when I say I will be obedient to him, that means I will be completely obedient to him. And I will respond only with praise and thanksgiving for who he is and for what he's done. In 2008, two psychologists did a study. Uh, they were interested in the correlation between being religious and worshiping celebrities. Now, here's what I mean. They studied, they, they had about 300, well over 300 subjects in this study, and they, they surveyed them on what, what the psychologists called their religiosity, how religious they were. Then they surveyed them on their perspectives of American celebrities and associated that through the questions with worshiping idols, in this case, celebrities. You know what they found? Part of it's not surprising. The thing they found was the more religious a person was, the less likely they were to worship celebrities. The less religious they were, the more likely they were to exalt and worship celebrities. That's not a surprise. That's actually good news. The surprise that came in the middle of it was a whole host of people that claimed to be devoted religiously and yet still, by the criteria of the study, worshiped celebrities. As if never understanding in God's Ten Commandments, that we heard earlier, you'll have no idol before the face of your God. You'll worship God and God alone. And that also means I'm not God, He is. You're not God, He is. Clarify that position. Clarifying that position restores your worship. Then the last step to restoration and the last requirement of that restoration. Renew your decision. You've admitted your condition, where you are, now you won't back. You want to return to obedience. You've clarified your position. All you can do is ask God's forgiveness. I'm not God. You are. Forgive me for what I've done. But you know God hears your prayers. Now it becomes your responsibility to make that decision once again to come back to him, to serve him again, remembering that he wants you back. Look again at verse 9. I will fulfill 
what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. See what Jonah's doing? The climax of his restoration, the exclamation point of it, is a clarity on obedience. It's a, an emphasis on renewal and the decision he made long ago to serve God. I will fulfill my vow. I made a, The term translated vow means promise. What I have vowed means what I pledged or what I promised to God. In our terms, that would be our first-time commitment to Christ, our first-time commitment to serve Him, our commitments along the way where we said yes to God. I'll do this in faith. I'll do that in faith. I'll serve here. I'll do that. He's saying, I will fulfill that vow because that's my part of this relationship. For Jonah, it was that God called him to preach to anyone God sent him to. Whomever God said preach to, Jonah preached to. His vow, his promise, his pledge was to be a prophet of God, and up to that point, he had been faithful to be a prophet of God. He is returning to that original commitment, that original decision, and therefore being restored to obedience, finally. But just to be clear, he says, I'll fulfill my vow. That's my part. That's my job. Salvation belongs to the Lord. His job is to decide where I go. His job is to decide who hears the word of God. If he wants to send me to the Ninevites, no matter how much I despise the Ninevites, that's where I go. Salvation is his job, not mine. Running the universe, his job, not mine. Using me in service and deciding where I serve, his job, not mine. But when I say yes to service, my job becomes fulfilling that commitment that pledge, that vow. That's my job. And through that partnership, I get to see God work through me. I get to see God do what only God can do. I get to praise God with my life and my service. At that moment, Jonah is restoring himself to obedience. He's making a fresh decision. We would call it a recommitment or a rededication. Uh, and, and again, you may be far from the Lord, you've traveled a long way, you realize your condition is a dark place, or maybe you've just let disobedience seep into your life. You, you become one that really doesn't care much about your relationship with the Lord, but He's speaking to you now. Go back to that original commitment. Go back to that original decision. Rewind and say, that, that's the commitment, the vow, the pledge, the promise that I made to the Lord it's not up to me to decide everything God's going to do. It's up to me to do what he tells me to do. To get to see him work in my life the way that he desires. Once Jonah is restored in that moment to obedience, verse 10 is this, there's no celebration, kind of anticlimactic, a little bit gooey in fact. The fish, God commands the fish to vomit Jonah out on dry ground. What a scene. He comes rolling out with saliva all over him onto dry ground. And don't you know he was as excited as the first day he accepted God's call to preach? Excited, elated, ready to serve. Well, gooey, a little messy. Oh, but he's ready to go. And he's ready to serve. And he is so glad that he still has life left. 
to do what God wants him to do. Are you in that place this morning where you know it's time once again? Maybe the first time was a long time ago. Maybe it's faded a bit in your memory, but it's time once again to recommit yourself to Him. Let God worry about God's part. My part, your part, is to say yes, God. And if I made that promise a long time ago, if I made that promise a long time ago, and the Lord's impressing my heart right now that it's time for a fresh commitment, then it's time to say yes. Start over with Him. You're never too young, you're never too old to start over with Him. A few years ago, a giant of the Christian faith, especially in Europe and the UK, passed away, went home to be with the Lord, a man named John Stott. Uh, John Stott was often referred to as the uh, UK version of Billy Graham. And the two men actually knew one another, and the two men were equally influential, intentionally influential on Christianity, uh, both on the continent and in the U.S., all of their lives. Stott wrote dozens of books, many of which are still in print to this day. One of those is called Basic Christianity. Basic Christianity, he originally wrote in 1958, and the second edition of it came out in 1971. And not long after the second edition of Basic Christianity was published, John Stott received an email, excuse me, a letter, it wasn't an email back then, but received a letter from a man named Leslie Weatherhead. Now, Mr. Weatherhead was uh, also a servant of Christ in the UK, and he wrote John Stott a letter saying that he had just read Basic Christianity and wanted John Stott to know that because of Basic Christianity, he had rededicated his life, recommitted his life to Jesus Christ and was looking forward to serving Christ the rest of his life. That's wonderful in and of itself, but look at, get this. Leslie Weatherhead was 78 years old when he wrote that letter. And not only that, Leslie Weatherhead himself was one of the best-known preachers in the UK in his lifetime. Thousands of people would come to his church every Sunday to hear him preach. He himself wrote dozens of books. He himself sat on committees throughout the continent that would influence and impact Christianity all over the world. And yet when he read that book, God used it in his heart and told him it's time. It's time for a fresh commitment. It's time to remember your promise and your pledge. It's time to start over that for the rest of your days, you'll be completely obedient to your God. It's time. And maybe God is saying that to you. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are or anywhere in between. Listen, believer in Christ, God may be saying to you, it's time. You've been disobedient. Maybe it's just seeped into your, your busy, busy schedule. And maybe you didn't realize till this morning or last week that you've been saying no to your God instead of yes. You haven't been fulfilling that promise, that pledge you made when you first came to Christ and you dedicated your life to serving Him, you committed your life to serving Him, and you look back on the years and you wonder, what happened? Where did that time go? How did I get to this place? And it could be you're one of those believers that your disobedience has taken you on a journey that now you know you're at rock bottom. And you cry out to your God and you wonder if there is hope and you will be blessed and you will be graced to know He hears you. 
He hears your cry because he wants you back. For both, God wants you back. Would you come back to obedience? I'm going to pray for you and with you in just a minute. But also, there may be some in this room and at home that have never trusted Christ as your Savior at all. This is your first time commitment to Christ. If you pray a prayer with me, then I'm going to pray for you out loud in just a minute. And if you've never trusted Christ, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer of faith in your heart to the Lord today and trust Jesus as your Savior. Receive eternal life, be forgiven of your sins, and start your walk with Christ today. Bow your heads and close your eyes in-house. You at home also, bow your heads, close your eyes. No one looking around. If this is your day, God's speaking to you, and this is the day you would say, I need to come back to make a fresh commitment to Christ. You may call it a rededication, a fresh commitment. You may call it saying, yes, God, I promised you I'd fulfill my, my pledge, and, and I want to start over and do that again. If that's you, I want to pray with you and for you today. Would you lift your hand up where you are? Say, this is my day. I'm rededicating my life. I'm starting over. Good. Now, you, we put your hands down. You at home, do the same thing. Nobody in the living room with you, but God's there. As an act of commitment, lift your hand up. Heavenly Father, you have seen the hands this morning. Some raised a little bit, some raised up high. That today would be the day we say, yes, I'm recommitting my life to Christ. I'm starting over. God, forgive me for where I've drifted in my disobedience. Commit, forgive me for decisions I've made that's taken me away from you and into more disobedience. God, I want to come back to obedience today. And Father, in doing that, believers in Christ say to you today, I recommit my life to Christ. I'm starting over today. And Father, for those that have never trusted Christ as their Savior, who today would surrender their lives to their Creator, surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, ask forgiveness for their sins, and receive eternal life. I pray with them also, God, this prayer, simple prayer of faith. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I can't save myself. I can't change my life on my own, and I can't change me. But Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me because of my sin. You took my sin to the cross. And Jesus, I believe you're alive today. You've risen from the grave. Jesus, I ask in faith, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me and give me eternal life. And Father, for all of us, I pray that we would firm up these commitments, God. We would firm up these commitments. Physical, tangible ways. But it would also show in our lives, Father, we would return to Bible study. We would return to prayer. We would weed out anything in our lives, God. Get rid of anything, God, that hinders our walk with Christ. We would add back those things that grow our walk with Christ. We would fulfill our commitment to you. And Father, as we come to a time of acknowledging those decisions, I pray, Father, we would be faithful in doing that as well. This morning, God, as you work in our hearts, maybe there's, there's other decisions we need to make, other commitments we need to make. I pray for those who know in their hearts that by faith, they know you want them to join First Baptist Church. I pray they'd follow through with that commitment. Maybe there's a prayer request. Maybe there's a decision we need to entrust to you. Maybe there's a heartache or a burden we need to give to you today. God, help us to do that today in this time of commitment. And Father, we give you all of, all of our concerns, our burdens, and we give you, God, our obedience in Christ. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray.
as we transition to continuing in commitments. Uh, for those online, this is a time of giving, of tithes and offerings, and giving to the state missions offering. You in-house, if you haven't done, done that, uh, let me encourage you to prepare that, put it in the giving station on your way out this morning. Also, pull off that Connect card. If God's put a decision on your heart, maybe you made a fresh commitment today, fill out that Connect card at the end of the hour. I'll wait up front to see if, if you're here, you want to bring that up, I want to pray with you, or drop it in the giving station on your way out, I'll call you. Same thing with you at home. You see that Next Steps card, click on that. Let us know about your decision so we can get in touch with you. I'm going to pray for us. The worship team's going to come back and sing to give us time to make those commitments, to, to firm them up in these ways while you're doing that. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for all you've done for us and all you've blessed us with. And in the time of giving of our tithes and offerings, God, I just pray that you would bless us as we give just a bit of what you've given us. Give back to your kingdom. Take our tithes, use those to expand your kingdom. Take our giving to the state missions offering and explode missions throughout North Carolina, God. And I pray we would be faithful to give as you've called us to. And God, I pray also that we would be faithful to acknowledge our commitments, acknowledge our decisions, to take those next steps that we need to take in our walk with Christ. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.